Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined today by PDX Deals Guy. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while since you've been here. Yeah, a few months. Thanks for having me back. So I hope everybody out there, you'll uh, deal with my voice a little bit. I apologize for that. I've been a little under the weather. We postponed recording this just so my voice could come back a little bit more and I'm hoping to make it through it. I am feeling better today though. I've been under the weather and I'll talk about my mattress run gone bad in a few minutes, but finally feel good even though the cough and the, the voice still aren't there. Well, glad to hear you're starting to feel better, but uh, yeah, you you don't sound your usual self, so maybe we'll we'll keep this short. Yeah, and I'll edit out all the coughing breaks and everything else, so I apologize in advance to you, PDX, if I can't hit that mute button before I have to cough because you have your headphones in and I'm sure you're going to get a nice cough right to the ear. But this is the last week of the year. This is a big week for people in the miles and points space. A lot of stuff to do, a lot of credits to get, I guess, for procrastinators like me. I'm always jealous of the people who are doing stuff ahead of time. In fact, I messaged Benji this morning on a question about the Aspire airline credit because I've had the card before and they changed it to the quarterly credit and I should be able to get still the old credit. But of course, I waited till the last minute. So I wanted to get confirmation that I would still get it. So I asked him for some data points which he didn't have any, but the terms say that if you did have the card, you should be able to get the old credit to $250. So yeah, I believe if you had the card before a certain date in October, I was off the top of my head, I want to say like October 13th or something like that. If you had the card before that date, you can actually double dip in that you can get the $250 flight credit this year and then get a $50 credit. That's the new credit going forward, actually just in the fourth quarter. And I happen to know that because I am in that procrastinator camp and may have just done a bunch of Amex cards, including the Aspire just recently. So I've just been waiting for those data points, but I did it anyways. I'm trusting the terms and have you got your credit yet or no, you're still waiting on those. The $50 credit posted very quickly. I happen to do Alaska Airlines for a fair number of my Amex cards, including the Aspire and those Alaska ones are notorious for not posting, needing you to chat with Amex and they usually require it to be at least 14 days after you've done the transactions before they'll do the manual credits. So I'm, I'm waiting on a lot of cards on that front, but the $50 posted nice and quickly. Good to hear. And uh, yeah, I did all my United Travel Bank. That's what I'm doing for my cards and do $100 at a time. That usually works pretty well. I used that for my Costa Rica trip. So this was the first time like in real life using my United Travel Bank credit actually paid off. So it made me feel a little bit better about having all that all that money sort of sitting out there, even though like the price to Costa Rica wasn't cheap. It wasn't crazy expensive. It was like, I don't know, under $600 round trip, something like that. But it felt better because I was just using the credit from all these cards and obviously been getting so many, so many of those signup bonuses, very rich signup bonuses or welcome offers the last few years. And I've been very happy for that, but, but I'm a little over this end of year rush with all the credits. Like I think it's time not to have so many platinum cards. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I, I just, besides the airline credits, I also just got done booking some FHR nights for next year using this year's credits, kind of speculatively booking to get those $200 credits on a number of platinum cards. And yeah, I'm in, in the same camp. For me, especially the regular platinums, I tend to get good retention offers on those pretty regularly. And the value from that is is pretty nice. The business platinums, on the other hand, they aren't as good of a value in, in terms of the credits, in my opinion. And then as well, the retention offers just haven't been there. So I think there are some cancellations of some uh, platinum cards coming in the not too distant future and have actually already occurred in some cases. 
Yeah, it's tough too, because I look at some of the benefits and I'm not using all of them. Things like the digital entertainment credit, I only use it for some things. We have, what do you get? Hulu, Disney Plus, Peacock, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I don't even have Wall Street Journal. It's funny because you're the person, if I really need to see a Wall Street Journal article, I'll ask you for it. It's because I don't want to sign up and then have it on a card that I end up canceling and then have to remember. So I don't use it. I know that Hulu and Disney Plus and stuff, I put those on a card that I believe I'll keep long term. So there's other things with that where you don't want to do that. I know I don't always maximize my wireless credits on my business platinum cards. And those are little things, but they do bother me. There is a lot of value if you can really squeeze it out, but is the juice worth the squeeze? I guess that's the question. I say that every year as we get sort of to the crunch time. And actually, we're recording this December 27th. I'm already done with everything, so I'm really not waiting till the very end. And if you are waiting on Amex credits, don't do it this week because, yeah, as you may or may not know, it takes days for uh, things to post and sometimes they'll post in the wrong year and then you got to fight with them and all of that. One last Amex-related thing is Dell, right? I had a couple Dell credits I hadn't used. And yesterday was 10X at Rakuten. So it was like perfect for the procrastinator because usually if you wait this long into December, you're not going to get a great portal payout for Dell. But I didn't want to say the couple orders I placed, Dell shipped them out within like two hours, which is record time. So they seem to be getting better on their fulfillment, which is nice because Dell doesn't charge your credit card till they ship. So you need to make sure everything ships and you get charged in the right year so that the credit goes through. Yeah, regarding the uh, portal payments, I know just the other day, a, a Saks uh, portal payment increased up to 10x. Uh, so that was uh, nice for uh, using up the Saks credits that uh, hadn't previously used. Uh, but yeah, tis, tis the season. Fortunately, I had the Dell ones done quite a while ago. Uh, I tend to use those for uh, buyer's clubs. Uh, so had those done quite a while ago. Well, looky there, Mr. Buyer's Clubs. How have the Buyer's Clubs been this holiday season? I haven't, as usual, haven't done as much. I did do a few things with buyer's groups, but I haven't been doing a high volume. So I know you do a lot more of that stuff. Have the deals been better this year than in the past? More below cost offers? What have you been seeing? Yeah, I mean, this is just one person's uh, experience and opinion, but it seemed to me that uh, a lot of the deals were hot and heavy during the kind of November timeframe leading up to the weeks before the traditional Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, then Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I, I, and I think I've you know, heard other people say this just was really anticlimactic, just not much of a, a big deal at all for the buyers clubs or just in, in general. And then December seems to have kind of been relatively slow in terms of deals out there. I mean, there's been a few here and there that uh, certainly have taken advantage of, but I'd say kind of early to mid-November seemed to, to be the peak period for Buyers Club's deals. Yeah, I looked at an email the other day and it was every deal was below cost. So I wonder who's doing those deals. People must be doing them for them to offer them. But the, the math is always murky to me, especially when you factor in all of the hassle and most people are shipping to their warehouses and getting your accounts shut down. You're in Oregon, so I think we've talked before on the show. In fact, a year ago, you came on, I think, to one of the first shows of the year. We're talking about how people juice up their miles and points earnings. So in Oregon, one of the nice things, you don't have state sales tax, so you often ship things to yourself and then ship it off to the buyer's groups, which is quite beneficial because then you can check the quality of what you get. You're actually putting your own hands on everything. And I think that makes it all a bit more sustainable. But I've talked with people who just absolutely won't touch buyers groups. And we have people in the diamond group and I've talked with people who are scaling this to insane levels well above what either of us have done. And it's just another example of how it can work or cannot work for you. And people are making money on buyers groups too. 
an income, which is very interesting. And it just depends on your strategy, your scale. And I think if you really want to do well at this and go to a certain level, you need to really negotiate with the buyers groups and get better deals than the average person is just getting signing up. That's the thing too, right? Just about life. It's about networking and relationships. And the best deal is not the one that's out there to everybody. So just keep that in mind if you're trying to do that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being in a uh, sales tax-free state of Oregon, it is it is nice to be able to ship to my house. You will talk to people who say there's pros and cons, and I agree. I mean, there's a simplicity to shipping directly, but the, as you pointed out, the benefit of shipping to my house is kind of twofold. One, I get to put my hands on everything. I actually see that it arrived. I see what I'm forwarding on to the buyer's clubs. I can check the quality if something is clearly not going to be an acceptable quality. I can hold it back and just return it directly for myself rather than through the buyer's clubs. And of course, the other benefit of shipping directly to your house is that you avoid the potential shutdowns that you mentioned of having the retailers seeing that you're shipping to an address that's known to them as being a buyer's club. Some retailers care about that, some don't, but to just have the safety of being able to ship to your house, I'm able to avoid that pretty much entirely. I'm very jealous of that. I'd live in a income tax-free state. I always tell him this, and I know that anybody who hears this from that area, from Portland or the Washington area or whatever, I say you should live in Vancouver, Washington for no state income tax, shop in Portland for no sales tax. And he gives me a look every single time, like, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So there's something very off on my whole calculus there. Maybe, I don't know, no, Vancouver's you're... not that bad. Is it just the way that people from Portland judge people from Vancouver? Is it? What do they call it? Like Vancouver Tucky or something I've heard? <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that one. Vancouver is, I, I will say, a very nice place. I, I love Vancouver. Uh, the only issue at all is if you're working in Portland, you can't avoid the tax issue. You, you can on the sales tax front, but on the income tax front, if you live in Washington and work in Oregon, you still get hit with the, the income tax. So there's no way to avoid that. So you would actually need to have your job in uh, Vancouver, which for some of us isn't doable. They also run into these very interesting situations where on the side of both bridges, the major bridges that cross over the Columbia River, which is the Oregon-Washington border, just right there by PDX Airport, just across both bridges on the Oregon side, there's you know, pretty major retail that exists in a place that's not around a lot of residential. So you're like, why does this exist? And clearly it's Washington shoppers. You go into the parking lot and it's a bunch of Washington license plates. And I want to apologize to everybody from Vancouver, Washington. I've been there uh, quite a few times. I've actually even stayed there way back in the day, and it's a very nice place. It just feels like Portland to me. It doesn't feel like this other thing. So I, But I have heard people say that Vancouver, Tucky, or some version of that. By the way, where I live in Henderson, in, which is part of the Las Vegas Valley, they used to call it Henderson, Tucky, or Hender, Tucky, I think is what they used to call it back in the day, because 40, 50 years ago, this was like way out from where Las Vegas was. And you can imagine the kind of country people that lived out here. And so that's what they would call it. But, you know, it's obviously grown a lot and we love those country people too. So there's nothing wrong with everybody. I was about to say that I think I've heard versions of the hyphen Kentucky and in, in other cases across the, the, the country. So really the people that you need to apologize to at this point are the fine people of the fine state of Kentucky. And nobody has finer bourbon. Kentucky's a great state. It's a lot of fun to go through there and to... Baseball bat museum. Yeah. Yeah, they got it all. No, it's a beautiful state. I've been through Kentucky quite a few times. So That's it's always right. the people who make fun of places like that. They haven't actually gone. So they just have some weird vision of what it's actually like and it's nothing like that. But uh, that's what travel's all about. That's why we do what we do. And I'll talk about my mattress run here, I guess, because this is how I got sick. So coming into... 
the end of the year, I realized I was too high at night short of 60 and I could have just spent on the credit card. And the way it works with the credit card is it's per calendar year. So as far as I understand it, you can spend right up until December 31st on your credit card and they will give you credit in the year that you spend. So that was an option and it doesn't really rely on your statement date. This is based on research I've done. People have different stories, but I'm pretty confident in what I've been told by people in the community on how this has worked. I haven't done the spending right at the end of the month to sort of figure that out, but that's how it works. So I could have done that, but I didn't because there's been this trip to San Diego I wanted to do just to get down to SeaWorld. We have our annual passes there. San Diego is probably the best family travel destination in the country. If we're not talking purely like, I, I mean, you could call Orlando. I mean, the, the problem with Orlando is the weather, right? It's not great most of the year. San Diego has the most beautiful weather. It's a beautiful city and you're right on the ocean. You even have an international border if you want to go do some interesting things down in Mexico. But then from a family perspective, you do have the parks like Legoland, like SeaWorld. They have a new Sesame Place Park that we got to check out as well. Of course, you have the San Diego Zoo and the Wild Animal Park and Balboa Park and just so much to do in San Diego. It really is an incredible city. So anytime I can get down there, I will. So I kind of put together this trip. I had a credit with Frontier from a canceled flight. Boom, there was a cheap like I think it was 20 something dollars one way down to San Diego. So that worked out really well with my frontier status going really well. Booked a night. I couldn't get the Grand Hyatt there, which is my favorite hotel in San Diego. So we did the Hyatt Regency La Jolla for the first night, which I had never been to. And I liked that property. It was a low season. I think it's a category three, but it was low season. So it was only 9,000 points a night. And it's a fairly typical Hyatt Regency, but it's in La Jolla. If you don't know in San Diego, that's sort of an upscale beach neighborhood, a lot of interesting beachy stuff in that area. So I like the location right off the freeway and I would recommend that hotel. I also had three free nights from National Rental Car, one of them expiring at the end of the year. So I was like, all right, so we'll do a road trip back home and I'll use these and I need to use one of these at least because it's going to expire anyway. So I was using a bunch of stuff and it made a lot of sense. I'm going to hit my 60 nights, all good. We get there, we get on the rental car shuttle and it looks full, but it's not full PDX because there are like three families of people here who have all decided to spread out through this bus and put their bags on chairs and everything else. So we're the last ones on the rental shuttle and I find a spot in the back corner for Ellie and Jasmine or they find a spot and I end up standing. Now there's six empty seats on this bus. These families have all spread out and they're all in between these families. So I just stand there and nobody offers me a seat, fine. Well, there's this one family where the mom decided to separate from her two kids and the little kid had the worst cough in the world. He was sick and he's right below me and I'm stuck where I'm standing and the entire 10 or 15 minute shuttle ride to the rental car center, it's just coughing right in my face. I mean, just, there's nothing I can do. It was really bad and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna escape this. And as you can hear, I didn't. Anything like that ever happened to you? Like where you're just, you can see it. I don't know, like, this is not something, I'm not a germaphobe, although I have a good friend, Dave, who is, and I travel with him a lot. So maybe that's opened my mind up to it. But this moment was like, oh, I'm in for it. Yeah, I mean, besides the experience that all of us have had of being on a plane and sitting next to someone that's clearly sick and just the you know feeling that you get when that happens to you and there's no empty seats to switch to. The one that jumps to mind, especially given your, your Vegas situation is back in the good old pandemic days, the first and only time? Gosh, no, I guess I did. I get, yeah, I've only had COVID once. 
The only time I caught COVID was in the beloved Allegiant Stadium watching uh, a fantastic, one of the best home Raider games in, in years against the Chargers at the end of the season in January of, I guess that would have been 2021. And I sat, people at that point were largely not wearing masks in the stadium. I wasn't wearing a mask and I sit down next to someone who's wearing a mask and she wasn't particularly coughing or anything, did occasionally or whatever. And so I appreciated the fact that she was wearing a mask, but yeah, lo and behold, the next day I started feeling bad and had COVID. And ironically, that's the same weekend or week that I got COVID coming back from Hawaii and my friend Dave, who I previously just mentioned, got COVID and we all got it the same weekend after. And this wasn't like right at the beginning. This was, like you said, people were already taking masks off. We were pretty deep into COVID, which was nuts. But uh, yeah, it was always fun when, when that happens out of nowhere. So we did eventually get the rental car. One nice thing about National, when you have their executive elite status, which is super easy to get through status matches, and there's a million ways to get it, is that when you get the free nights, you can use them in a lot of different categories. You can do more than like a standard car with the free night. So I was able to secure a luxury rental, which was nice. So we got to the car, we get the car as a beautiful, I think BMW 430i convertible, which was really nice. I got to choose from a few other ones. Ellie was at first not happy because the backseat was tiny. And I'm like, it's only for two days. You can get over this. You can, you can deal with this. And it was a lot of fun. It was a good car to drive. And we did SeaWorld, which was fun, getting to ride some of the coasters that she hadn't got on. We went to the new Sesame Place Park and everything was looking good. It was a good trip. We're doing things. Enjoyed the Hyatt Regency La Jolla. Still feeling okay at this point. And what we had decided to do instead of just driving back from San Diego was to head north to Magic Mountain, which is an amusement park north of LA. It's a few hours away. It's a little bit of extra driving, but we wanted to go do that. And uh, we were going to stay at the Hyatt Regency Valencia, which is next to there. And I've stayed at that property a ton. Uh, unfortunately, it used to be a Category 2. Now it's a Category 3. But it's a decent property if you're going to be in that area. It's not a hotel you would stay at if you're going to L.A. other than really going to Magic Mountain. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't look. The weather was starting to turn a little bit. And on the day we drove from San Diego up there, I didn't really look. And Magic Mountain decided not to open that day. And we were going the next day and the weather looked a little iffy, but mostly okay. And I was like, I bet they're not going to open tomorrow. And so we go all the way up there. We drive all the way up there, do all of this stuff. And they end up not opening. So it was just a big waste of time to go all the way up there. We could have just driven back from San Diego. But the bad thing is we woke up in that morning, either going to Magic Mountain or driving home. And we, Jasmine and I both were just sick. And that's about a four hour drive. I've done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And it was the longest four hour drive of my life because by the time we got home, we were both just so sick. Neither one of us could just, all we wanted to do was lay down and yeah, it was rough. And then it's, it's been a week. So it's funny when you plan this travel and we, we've all done that, right? You've had this trip and it's crazy because sometimes we plan trips years in advance and you can't really change if you get sick. And it happens sometimes on this, it's a little trip, not the end of the world, but it's happened on big trips too. And it sort of sucks. That is a bummer. And that was uh, Christmas Eve weekend, correct? That you were driving back? Yeah, we were driving back. Yeah, right, be, right before Christmas Eve. So not feeling well on Christmas for time with Jasmine's family. That's too bad. Yeah, it sucked. It is what it is. I had just gotten sick for like a day coming back from Orlando because they had this like 24-hour bug that they had caught when I was out of town for the week and they had cleaned everything. But apparently the bug still persisted somewhere in the house because a couple of days after I got home, I got it. And it was like a 12 hours of being sick and then I was fine. Same thing. I don't know. I'm just over being sick. So 
I'm in a good mood though today though, so, because I feel good. This is the first time I feel good. I've been just trying to like survive having to do shows and having to do everything and I actually feel like myself today, which is nice. Well, it's just better to feel good than to look good or sound good or something like that. But uh, the most surprising part of that story to me was to hear you say that you were working on your 60th high at night. Uh, I thought for sure that you, when you were, said you were mattress running, that it was for the 100 night milestone. Yeah, this year we didn't do as many hides. I mean, we stopped traveling in the summer, right? So we only traveled the first half of the year, really. And then not all of that because there were some health issues with my dad that kept us home earlier in the year. And I just didn't have it all planned out 100%. So my stay in Chicago, I had thought was going to count for my 60th. And that was under a different rate and it didn't count. Perfectly fine. Totally understandable. I actually was just sort of secretly hoping that it would count. So yeah, it worked out. Like I said, there was many options. But it does stink when you put everything together. You're going to have this great trip. It makes sense for your goals in the travel hacking space. It makes sense for what you want to do because we've been wanting to do this trip to do SeaWorld and stuff. And it goes well and then it doesn't. And it's all still a win in the end. But I was sort of feeling as we drove back home that I had wish I hadn't gone. Let's just put it that way with all of the consequences afterwards. Well, despite the coughing on the rental shuttle bus, uh, I'm glad that you got to enjoy a little bit of time in San Diego. I love San Diego and need to spend more time there. I do love the Grand Hyatt there, but there's a bunch of other hotels in that area, including the Park Hyatt, I think up the road just a little ways that I still need to hit, but just love San Diego. I was there for a business trip just a few weeks back and was just feeling like I wish I could have stayed for more than the couple of hours that I was there, but need to get back. But Hey, along the lines of you mattress running for status, I have found myself in a similar situation just here last weekend, and I was one night short of 50 for Marriott to keep my Marriott Platinum status. So my wife and I decided to do a little PDX staycation, and there's a brand new hotel that just opened up in Portland, the Ritz-Carlton, and it's been advertised as the only five-star hotel in Portland. Of course, those hotel star ratings, I think, maybe can be a little bit subjective, so there might be some uh, argument over that, but that's what it's been billed as, and so we were able to check it out, and I had a fun time uh, using a, was able to use an 85K uh, free night certificate from my Ritz-Carlton credit card, and we had a nice uh, little one-night staycation. I remember going by that building last year, and it just looks incredible. It looks like a beautiful uh, facility right in downtown Portland. I saw some pictures from your stay. That looked great. What I wanted to ask you about was you managed to score lounge access there, which is not something that's guaranteed with your status. And as people who go to Ritz a lot or people who have been around a long time know, Ritz lounges are no joke. I mean, they're a different level of lounge. There's a reason why you're not just getting willy-nilly access to it because it's a very premium offering. And somehow you were able to get it. How did you talk your way into lounge access at the Ritz in Portland? Well, let's just say I I was able to work a little bit of a connection that I have. I probably shouldn't mention any names, but I was able to work a connection. As you say, it is a, you know, a different level sort of experience. And so I I think my experience staying at the hotel was definitely impacted by that. If you kind of remove that from the equation, maybe I wouldn't have had quite as an amazing experience, but it was a phenomenal five-star sort of experience, not just a lounge, but I mean, even like the fitness center, there's a pool on, I believe the 19th floor with a great view. Unfortunately, we didn't have the best weather, so we couldn't see Mount Hood off in the distance, but from the fitness center and from the pool deck, uh, just a beautiful infinity pool indoors. 
on the 19th floor uh, overlooking downtown Portland and looking out towards the Cascade Mountains, Mount Hood specifically. It's just a, a very unique property. And then again, back to the lounge access. I mean, I love me a good Hyatt Lounge or whatever, but I'd say that Ritz Lounges, and I can't say I have a lot of experience domestically with Ritz Lounges. In fact, this might be my first, but I put it very much on par, if not maybe even a notch above some international experiences. It was quite nice. It, the hotel itself, I believe, opened up about two months ago, and the employees mentioned that the lounge had just opened up, I think, about a month previously. So it was still uh, nice and new and shiny, but very, very nice. I know you said you used a cat, an 85K cert. Was it 85K or what is the cost of that hotel? Yeah, that that's a little bit interesting. If you, if people go and look, if they're interested in staying, I found that a lot of nights off in the future, and previously I'd noticed this too, that a lot of nights were kind of all over the place in kind of the 70 to 100 range. So you could occasionally get below that 85. For whatever reason, December and January, the entire month was showing up as like 120. So I was able to contact the hotel and ask them about that. And the feedback I got was that it was a bit of a mistake. And so they actually allowed me to use an 85K certificate just kind of by talking to them about the fact that their capacity was well below full and they were happy to let me use the 85K cert. Yeah, it's funny when you have to think sometimes these games that properties play or mistakes that they make with their availability, that it backfires because there's sometimes that they could get people booked into rooms at a decent rate you have compensation for them where they're just letting the room sit empty. And I'm sure they're making money at 85K, whatever Marriott is paying them. But good to see that they did that. And it's just another good example of why you can reach out to properties and get something. Just booking a hotel, if you can book it, isn't necessarily the last step. There's always people you can talk to. And it never hurts to be polite and to have some sort of contact with a property before you get there. But in your case, even reaching out to them to open up space or to be able to book something can be advantageous as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it got me that 50th Marriott night. Mr. Platinum, Mr. Marriott Platinum. So uh, one last question about that. And I do want to say that pool looks spectacular. I'm a sucker for those rooftop or those tower pools or something that's above the city. A lot of hotels like Park Hyatt, New York has a great one. Andas Tokyo has another great one. There's a lot of these around where you're in a sort of a big tower and you get these beautiful pools that kind of look out over a city. Now, this is in downtown Portland. There's a lot being said about Portland, whether it's safe or not. This area definitely has parts of it that are not safe or don't always feel safe or where maybe unpredictable, I would say, is the way it felt down there to me. But do you think that if you're going to visit Portland, that that area where the Ritz is, the downtown kind of core, I would say, but maybe I don't know my geography well enough, is that where you would stay as a tourist? Yeah, there's, there's some pros and cons. And I'll just start off by saying to your point of, is it safe? The thing that I always tell everyone is if your perception of downtown Portland or Seattle or San Francisco is that it's just horrific, if that's your perception. It's not that bad. If your perception on the flip side is that everything is fine and merry and safe and great, well, it's not that either. It's the truth, as is often the case, is somewhere in between. Specifically regarding the location of the Ritz, it's a little bit outside of what would traditionally be considered the downtown core kind of shopping area. Some other hotels in downtown Portland that people might you know be familiar with, like the Nines Hotel, which is uh, owned by Marriott, or there's a couple of Hiltons and a couple of other independents uh, that are right near around Pioneer Courthouse Square, which is where a lot of the shopping is and so forth. The, the Ritz is probably about three or four blocks away, but it's actually kind of interesting. It's in the direction of a landmark that a lot of people that visit Portland want to go to, which is Powell's Bookstore. If you're not familiar with Powell's, it's, I believe, the world's largest or the largest west of the Mississippi or whatever uh, bookstore, especially with a selection of 
used books to go along with uh, new books. And it's just a place where oftentimes people will talk about coming to Portland and spending the day there. So it's near that. And there's you know, a number of other very nice restaurants just right within. So it is, it's an interesting location. But the other kind of interesting thing in regard to this whole safety issue and location is that the Ritz, besides being a hotel on floor, I believe, 20, uh, 2 through 20, above floor 20, I, I, I forget if it's 10 or 15 floors, they have uh, Ritz-Carlton residences, which are very high-end apartments that I believe were priced at on the low end, and I could be off on this, so don't quote me exactly, but a million to two million range and, and up to well above that for some of the, the bigger, uh, more high-profile uh, units. And uh, there's been a lot of press here locally in Portland about uh, those maybe not doing so well on the sales front. Again, I'm not going to you know quote numbers and so forth because I'm not sure of you know the accuracy of everything that you hear, but uh, suffice to say that uh, those residences uh, were contemplated pre-pandemic and now in the reality of the hotel and the residences opening up, uh, it's been a little bit more of a struggle. But again, I digress a little bit. The hotel itself, I, I would recommend to you know anyone. It's obviously a bit of a splurge at those sort of prices or point levels, but I couldn't say anything but great things about the experience of everything. We did also get upgraded to a suite and it had a beautiful corner view looking into downtown and into the West Hills of Portland. It was a great experience. Hashtag living the good life, right? Hashtag blessed or something. I don't know, but sounds like a great stay. I mean, a sweet lounge access, great location, new hotel, five stars. Sounds like it delivered on every level and that's really good. Is it on FHR too, or is it just for points and cash? It is not on FHR. I haven't checked Chase or MasterCard's hotel collections, but FHR in Portland just has three hotels, the Nines, the Kempton on the riverfront, and then also a Hilton hotel that's across Kitty Corner across the street from the Hilton called the Dunaway. It's kind of a more specialty Hilton sort of property. And actually that is a great FHR usage in that it's oftentimes a little bit below $200. So that's a good FHR staycation use for us. So I wanted to close out by talking about Built and the announcements that they made around their elite program. And I guess it's a little controversial in the uh, space. I do have an affiliate relationship with Built, disclose that up front. But, you know, there's people that were upset about it because they said that this was a devaluation. I don't know that it's a, de- I mean, I guess maybe it's a devaluation in that they're changing elite. Do we call it a devaluation when the elite program itself changes, but not the value of the points? Basically, They are changing the way that you earn elite status. And it's good for some because you can earn it through spend. But basically, they're significantly uh, increasing what you need in order to get status. So currently, they have the blue status where no points or spend are required. They have silver status, which you need to earn 25,000 points through the built program. Under the new system in 2024, you'll either need to earn 50,000 points, so that's doubling, or spend $10,000 on uh, your credit card or through a linked credit card with a built partner. Gold, 50,000 points currently, going up to 125,000 points or 25K spend. Platinum, 100K currently, going up to 200,000 points needed or 50K in spend. So you can see they're doubling or more than doubling in some cases, the amount of points you required while also opening up this sort of separate spend track. So on one level, they're making the program more complicated, which is a bit more difficult. They're also making it harder to get elite status, but they have had these promotions where you're getting transfer bonuses based on your status. So the status has become more important over time and you can now earn status through your spend on, for example, Lyft is a partner of theirs. If you use a third-party card, not necessarily the built MasterCard, 
and you link it to Lyft and you take a ride. Now you're going to earn points through that or through their dining partners. I don't think this is a positive thing, but I don't think it's as bad as some people were sort of getting at. And I think that the value in Built has been some of these really unique spending offers and transfer bonuses that they've given. And this maybe is a way for them to, you know, make it all more sustainable. There are some things that they didn't say, which is very weird. Every 25,000 points, there's going to be some sort of milestone gift that you get, but they didn't tell us what that will be. So on one level, they're asking us to be, have faith in them. On another level, this is definitely not positive, but if they keep a lot of the transfer bonuses and a lot of the really good stuff, I don't see this as being a huge issue for a lot of people who are deeply in their ecosystem. Certainly, as you point out, the strength of the program has been the opportunities for transfer bonus, expanded transfer bonus opportunities. And some of the transfer partners are fantastic for me. And I, I actually just became a card holder not too long ago because I have a rent situation where I'm able to do the monthly rent. And I'll say at this point, that's pretty much all I use the card for. I, I believe I also have it linked, as you pointed out, for Lyft rides. But besides that, it's pretty much just you know, rent and lift. And so this is going to cause me to have to look at the program and answer the question as to whether or not this card goes in, takes a slot in my wallet and, and what I'm going to use it for. Because again, in terms of spending bonus categories, it's, I'm just going off the top of my head here. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's what dining and, and travel are the, the big category spend bonuses. Yeah. It's 2X on travel and 3X on dining is what you're getting with it. 1X on everything else. I think the big change is there's people who are able to hit elite status tiers just through their rent spend, even if they didn't have the built MasterCard before. And what they're doing is they're doubling or more than doubling the requirements on the point side, which I think is going to take a lot of those people who are earning status through rent alone sort of out of that, or at least to a lower tier. And the idea being you need to spend on your credit card, get the built MasterCard and use that. Now you can hit the 25K, 50K spend. If you're using that, you're going to get the elite status. It's not a real surprise what they're trying to do here. And I think based on my conversations with them over the years, this has always been sort of their goal. But, you know, they are maturing in a way and clearly they're going to do it in a way that's driving more spend to their bottom line. And that's what they're doing here. I'm not going to be overly critical of it. I wish that they had come out with these milestones and given us a better look at everything, but it's not good. It's not positive. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Well, like you said, I, th I think it makes sense. They're folks who are well aware of the rewards programs and how they work and they need to make money. So it makes sense that they're incentivizing the things that uh, are going to, to, to make them money. But I think we all just have to ask ourselves the question of where does it fit in kind of competitively in, in your wallet versus the other programs, Chase and Amex and City and and what, what works best for you. And we'll all do that math and figure it out. I uh, you haven't had time to look at it too closely yet. But yeah, as I said, at this point, I'm kind of in the pay rent and some things like Lyft occasionally, but I'm going to have to you know, do the math and, and ask myself if this, you know, it, to me, the natural ones would be potentially for dining and travel to kind of put it in the mix. Yeah, I think a lot of people just get too focused when a program changes to say, okay, well, this isn't ideally what I would have wanted, but Built still offers a lot. And I don't, think that we can really deny that these transfer bonuses lately have been crazy and they seem to have indicated that they're going to continue, especially for the higher elite tiers. You're getting very, very good transfer bonus values uh, with that. And then you've had the rent day promotions, some of them better than others, different spending promotions where you're earning not just the regular on the built MasterCard, but you're getting increased spending on rent day. So there's still a lot there to look at, even with this new system. And if you can work within the new system, and one final point I wanted to make, when this card launched, which is really interesting to me, 
almost nobody in the miles and points space wanted the card. Most people not paying rent, especially the people not paying rent. And I know so many people who have the card, including you. It's definitely a program where the more advanced people have found value. Let's just put it that way, where they have found value. It's not that you're going to be able to do unlimited amounts of things. It's not like you're, but there is value if you really look at the program and you work it the way that they want you to work it. And uh, the way it's been set up, it seems like it's mutually beneficial. Yeah, I think, uh, as you point out, the, the thing that you need to factor in is those spending bonuses. So you might be looking at 1x or 2x on spending and saying that's not attractive. But when you factor in on the other end of the equation, how you're going to use those points and the potential for, for transfer bonuses, that, that does change the math and is worth consideration. So bottom line, changes are bad, in my opinion. I still think built has value. In my opinion, it's worth looking at. And as you said, see how it fits in your overall strategy, because it's not as simple a play as some others. And it's not as simple as it used to be now that they've complicated everything and made the program uh, more, I don't know, difficult to, to deal with. So that's my take. And I think that's going to do it for this show. PDX, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? Well, I think the two easiest places, I'm not a big social media person, but on Twitter or X at PDX Deals Guy, and then certainly in the, the Diamond Slack, you've got to join the Miles to Memories community and get, be part of the Diamond group, and I'm certainly active in there. Speaking of San Diego, we're doing one of our meetups next year in December in San Diego because it's such a great place that time of year, especially. That's right. Looking forward to, to that. Uh, it'll be a little easier uh, for me as a West Coast person to get to than Orlando was this year, but I definitely missed seeing all those photos of all the fun you guys had at uh, Epcot. Wish I could have been there. Absolutely. It was a great time. For this show, you can find us at mtmpodcast.com. We're still looking for five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, we're at Miles to Memories all over social media, and you can find all of our post-podcast videos at milestomemories.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, PDX, for joining me for this last show of the year. Hope everybody has a great New Year's. Talk to you next year. See ya.